Oh. Welcome back to another episode of Ask Someone Else with myself, Kaz, from Property by Kazzy. As always, we have a special guest on every week, and this week is no different. We're going to be joined by, joined by, yeah, joined by Roland from Sanctum Homes, um, a property investor focusing on developments in London. Um, he started investing in 2019 and since then has done developments in excess of 6 million GDV. Um, there's a significant number of rooms under management, a lot of focuses on HMOs. Um, again, if you haven't been here before, we just talk all about property and every week we have a conversation with somebody different. So join, see if you haven't already, make sure you add your friends. Let me know where you're watching from, where you're listening from today. Um, how you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm good, man. How you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. How's the sound? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, sound good, sound good. So cool. um, it's good to have you on. Just before we, again, I introduced you, but I'll introduce you again as people begin to join. So obviously this is the Ask Someone Else section. So the clue is in the title. You get an opportunity to ask people questions. It's great to use the comment box because it's easy for everybody to see. We can pin the questions there and everyone can get as much value as possible out of the questions. Um, so feel free to ask. But Roland, how are you doing? How's your weekend been? So you know I've had a good weekend. I've had a good Sunday because, uh, you know, I've got two kids and they've mm -hmm. been with my mum this weekend. So my wife and I have had a nice day, went for a nice lunch, went for a walk. So, yeah, it's been good. It's been good. It's been very chilled. Not a normal Sunday. <laughs> nice, 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 nice. Little, little non-property weekend for you. Um, so I think if we dive straight in. I saw, obviously, in mean, what you sent over and some looking at some of your socials, you started investing in 2019? Yeah, I think that's right. Or was it late 2018? But yeah, around then. Started with HMOs, and then more recently it's been uh, conversions, houses into flats. Okay. Um, so sort of moving from, like, investing, you know, landlord portfolio mode into actually more de like, mixing development with, with growing the portfolio. Nice. And what was what was you what were you doing before if, before being in property? Like, where did yeah, you? Yeah, so my career started uh, out of uni. I started in sort of management consultancy for a couple of years, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. I was really working in banking for about ten years. Um, so, like a very kind of like financial corporate type background, um, and yeah, I just got pretty sick of it. Really, um, combination mm -hmm. of like the hours, the intensity of it, and the, the the challenge of like sort of you know having a a balance between that and your life and your family and stuff. And so when we started having kids, that was when it was sort of like this, you know, the 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 you know the lights the light switch kind of flipped, and it was like, hang on a minute, like this has been okay when I was young and I didn't have like those responsibilities, but actually, you know, if you want to have more control over your own life and you want to be able to sort of be the kind of like father you want to be and sort of husband you want to be, then actually you know yeah you need to have that sort of control and so it wasn't a case of like it has to be property but it was a case of like you know i want to i want to work for myself and i want to be my own boss basically did you before kind of finalizing on property were there other options you were exploring when you were trying to <laughs> into time? So, like, so i 
so the, my, my first out of out of my job when i first quit my job i was like okay i've got this business idea and i did pursue that for about mm, 18 months i would say um now the property stuff the first hmo sort of say overlapped with that 18 months but for the first at least 12 months or so it was like pure focus on this other business idea um and i mean without going into a lot of detail it was like within sort of the health space like a sort of um a natural supplement type thing sounds super scammy when i say it right now because like obviously supplements have got quite a <laughs> dodgy reputation but like it was something that i was very interested and passionate about but what i realized is that like i didn't have the fundamental skill set to like execute on that business um the marketing and yeah really kind of like the marketing and the the digital advertising that was involved in that and you know there's obviously loads of businesses that have done incredible out of social media um and like you know using influencers and that sort of stuff but i guess like you know i'm sort of like so i'm 37 yeah going on 38 mm -hmm. like i'm not i wouldn't say i'm sort of like social media native you know like facebook kind of came out when i was like you know just out of uni and then you know it's not like it's not sort of like in as intuitive to me as it is to some people mm -hmm. so i was like i was in that i was like starting that business and i was kind of but then i was looking at the other performers in that sector that were doing well and i was kind of seeing what they had that i didn't have and i could have like i could have put more money into it and like you know because obviously like agent digital agencies that will kind of like do that sort of stuff but i just kind of felt like i want to be doing a business where I feel like I'm kind of driving the value creation rather than just like trying to outsource that to somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I started doing, you know, the first HMO was something where I was like, it was really more of just kind of like, well, I've got a bit of money. So like, why don't I invest that? It wasn't kind of like meant to be the start of a business as such. Um, or like it wasn't, it wasn't the, the idea at the time wasn't that would be my primary focus or activity. Right. Um, and so but, you know, I just kind of like fell into it and really enjoyed it. And I think it's like the combination of, you know, it's the analytical side, which is obviously more my background, like the numbers and the spreadsheets and that kind of stuff. But it's also the creativity of, you know, floor plans and interior design and that kind of stuff, which I suppose like my old career didn't really give me and which I really enjoy as well. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a bit of a journey and evolution. But, you know, I'm pretty happy the, the way it's worked out in the end. Well, I think that's that's for a lot of people. Um in business and transitioning from business into property or business into any other vocation, you have to look at what your skill set can deliver in the new business that you want to move into. And yeah. I think like the understanding perspective for a lot of people, you know, when wanting to move into property is also kind of actually understanding like what like key areas of my knowledge and my learning and my experience am I going to be able to take really effectively and move over to to a new business yeah 100 percent. That's, that's important for a lot of people that want to get into property i always say to people like because property can be very broad um you know there's like i said you know there's like the numbers side of it there's the relationship side of it whether that's with your investors with your tenants with um kind of source you know source deals um there's the more sort of aesthetic side of it with your interiors and that sort of stuff so there's lots of different things there, but you've got to you've got to at least love at least one of those things and like really feel like that's something where you are really good, right? Where you can yeah. really kind of like excel. And then the other things, you need to sort of at least be able to tolerate them, right? <laughs> like if yeah. you hate, because if you, 
you know, if you hate refurbs and dealing with builders and stuff, doing what we do, like if you really hate it, then you're not going to enjoy this, right? And if you're only focused on, yeah, but it'll, it'll make me financially free and it'll make me money and that sort of stuff, like it doesn't matter. Like you're not going to, you're not going to kind of, um, you're not going to, if, if you hate it that much, you're not going to make it anyway, I, generally, I think. So, yeah, I agree with you. Like, you know, you've got to see, you've got to like find your, like, where's your angle? Where's your thing that you've got that's going, that you can apply to this business that's going to sort of make it, you know. Yeah. I think in terms of, yeah, like, like you said, there's so many ways that you can be a good property developer. And I yeah. think you touched on some really important ones. Like, you may have come from a sales background. And so your ability to build relationships is what is going to propel you to do really well because a lot of property and buying and selling a business as a whole is a relationship business. If you come from a finance background and are great with numbers, your ability to analyze a deal is going to propel you and put you steps ahead of somebody who's not good at that. Um, and yeah. some people are good at everything and some people i have got to work on, you know, a lot of things. But I think definitely trying to work out where your skills lie and then align them to an area of a business and focus on that. And then where possible, bring the right people in or the right skills around you to kind of pad everything else. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. So where's your, like, what's your, what's your part of the, of the chain of property that you feel that you're kind of like most, um, got, got the strongest advantage in? So that, I think it's, it's a combination of the numbers and the relationships. So my, my educational background is economics. So like yeah. I'm a, like I'm a spreadsheet guy. Like I live in my spreadsheet. I saw, your, I saw your story the other day on your spreadsheet, and I was like, "Ah, oh, fuckers, spreadsheet's better than mine." <laughs> <laughs> you know what's super funny? It's got about more tags. It's got more tags anyway. Because <laughs> I, I like when I like when I made that spreadsheet, or when I posted, but when I first ever posted about the spreadsheet, yeah. And I was thinking, like, because it takes a long time to explain, and I thought this is the most boring story I've ever put out. Like my <laughs> engagement is gonna go, Ooh. but like people love the spreadsheet. People love it, yeah. They loved it, and I think. Like whether you're like if you're a property like you know expert and have been in it for ages, you'd appreciate the detail of like the ability that it allows you to analyze. And if you're a novice, the idea that you can find something that would maybe just straight away tell you what your return on capital is and be able to do your um, your what if analysis if prices go up or if bill costs go up, etc. It, it was really good, and I think definitely like. At all, whether or not it's a complicated spreadsheet, but having a process to be able to analyze deals or analyze opportunity in business as a whole um, can be a massive advantage. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, like, I'm a little bit traditional on this where I think that I don't like the idea of someone just being given a spreadsheet and then just saying, like, you know, just use this. Mm -hmm. Like, if you don't know how, it's a bit, uh, look, if you can't build it yourself, then that's fine. But you need to understand how it works because I feel like if you don't understand how it works, it's just like a black box, right? And you're just putting in numbers and it's giving you the answer. And, you know, a lot of that stuff, like the what if analysis, you know, that's, it needs to, a lot of it needs to be tailored for the specific deal, right? And you need to be mm -hmm. able to kind of like, you know, understand how it works, how to use it and how to modify it and that sort of yeah. stuff. And so, like, I, when I see people like, you know i'll download my spreadsheet or i'll sell you my spreadsheet that's kind of stuff i'm just like oh, i'm not sure how i feel about that because you know they're just you know you it, you can't simplify it down just to you know here's this here's this like computer program where you know you put in the numbers and it tells mm -hmm. you the answer i feel but i mean i think you know, yeah I think like, like we said like everyone's got their own skills skill set right and strength yeah. so some people find the number side of it that that's not where they're most comfortable but they've got other parts where they're going to more than make up for that right I think sometimes I think it's like 
it's like the backbone or it's a structure. But even if you've got structure, you still need the expertise to understand things. Because I could give you a spreadsheet, but if you've got no concept of how to cost the build cost, you're just yeah. throwing in numbers for the sake of it. And if, yeah, yeah. you know, even when it turns out looking at, you know, what are your finance costs going to be like without the explanation of what you can and can't do with different types of finance at different rates of loans yeah. of value. And it's like, as, as I tried to build it out as like a real tool, like that's how I ended up. I'm currently on like nine tabs and that's with it working for me. If I was to build it out and try and make it like a one-stop shop, I think I'd end up on like 50 tabs and it'd be so complicated that you need a spreadsheet to explain the spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, but no, that was cool. Anyway, I interrupted you. You were... Uh, yeah, that's no, what I was saying. So honestly, in terms of how you got started, so your first property as an... In, was that your first investment property or did you have any buy-to-lets or anything else before that um, from a property? No, 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 that was the first... The first um, so the eight-bed HMO, the first one that I did, that was the first investment property that I'd done. So it was, um, it was interesting because I, I did have... I had some friends who, you know, they'd started, uh, you know, buying their just straightforward buy to let. So like not even like a BRR, just like, you know, just buy, buy a flat, buy, you know, new build or not new build, but like just buy a flat, tenant it. Um, and yeah, I suppose I was always like, okay, well, you know, and, and you know, they come, you know, every few years they'd be like, oh, it's, it's gone up in value a bit more and I've just refinanced it. And I suppose, goes back to what i said earlier actually like it that just felt a bit too passive for me like i didn't i just felt like that's just purely a punt on the on the property price mm -hmm. yeah you know and this was mostly in london right so that was just purely a punt on london property prices which okay you know historically not so much quite recently but historically have done quite well but it didn't seem like i don't know i prefer i prefer sort of a type of investment where you feel like you are sort of forcing or adding value yourself mm -hmm. rather than just putting some cash down and letting the market do the rest. I guess that comes from your, like your working background of working in. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little seen, bit. Like, you see returns and you see people trying to structure what they want to make from their money within a specific period of time. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, like my background was in invest was like mostly um, corporate finance. So I was like, I was working in M&A with oil and gas clients and it was like a lot of like buying and selling assets and like, raising money for projects, uh, oil and gas projects and that sort of stuff. So it was a little bit more sort of like corporate than it was kind of like people investing. But I think that, you know, what, what sort of like, um, you know, so I always felt with property that it was something that really interested me, but if I was going to get into it, I wanted to do it in a way where, you know, I was going to add value to it. And that's what I'd done a couple of times. You know, I've done that with our own, our own home that we bought, for example. So, you know, we bought a fixer up a house, did the extension, you know, did the interior renovation, that sort of stuff. Um, and so, you know, H HMO, when I sort of like found out a bit more about HMOs, I was like, okay, well, this is a great combination where you know, I can go in and like buy a rundown house and I can do it up um, and add value to it, but I can also then continue to own it in a, in a way that, you know, has good cash flow rather than just, okay, you know, I'm clipping a bit of a yield, which covers my costs and a little bit extra, but you know, really it's about the capital growth, particularly in London, right? Okay. So, um, so yeah, that was kind of how I, you know, decided to sort of go on with that. 
and also just having a bit more time once I sort of got out of. Um, so you know, when you first decided that you wanted to go like down the HMO route, was mm-hmm. um, like actually before sort of pulling the trigger and going for that particular HMO, was there? Were you self-taught? Like, how did you go about that kind of your education in terms of wanting to do a HMO and being confident that you would be able to deliver that? Yeah. Um, so I did do some education actually. Um, and I think it was helpful in the sense that, you know, I always look back on it in two ways. I think there's a bit of a, like the education market has got such a challenging reputation at the moment because mm-hmm. on the one hand, like there's obviously like quite a lot of scammy people out there and mm-hmm. yeah, they get sort of slammed and rightly so. And then I think there's also like some companies that are or some people they're probably actually okay. Like they're not doing anything particularly bad, but there's a bit of a problem where, you know, like you go in and you don't know this stuff and then you get taught it. And then once you know it, you're like, well, that's not that complicated. Like, why did I spend all this money on this training? Do you know what I mean? There's this joke about like, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you're really hungry and then you, you know, and then you've, you're stuffed at the end and the bill comes. You're like, I don't want to pay for food. I've just eaten. So <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a bit like the same thing with this education. I think a lot of people, you know, if when you're on the outs from the outside before you've received that education, it seems like super complicated. But then when, once you've had it, you're like, oh, okay, well, actually, it's not that difficult. So I think, so I mean, I'm still don't really have, you know, people come to me and they say, like, do you think I should get education? Do you think I should get a mentor and that kind of stuff? Or do you think I should just kind of like just look all that all the information up? Because all the information is kind of out mm-hmm. there, right? I still haven't really got a clear answer to that. But in my case, yeah, I did some education. And, you know, I think it definitely kind of like got me going a little bit quicker. And I think the other thing is that like that sunk cost, the money side of it, of having actually put some money into that. I think, although it's a bit of a sort of mental psychological trick to like... <laughs> you know, then act on that sunk cost. I think it did like make me go, well, shit, like I've already spent this money. Mm-hmm. It created a little bit of accountability for you. To yeah, I think that's right. I was just like, look, I don't want to, I don't want that money to be in for nothing. So I better crack on and actually do it and do, uh, and do the first HMO. And so, yeah, that was, that was kind of how that came about. I think, I think the education side is, yeah, it's, it's like what you said about like a supplement or an alternative product. Like there's, there's a lot of, good and bad education and in, in terms of like when me asking like i'm very much like you I'm, I'm super on the fence because there's definitely value in it yeah like definitely and i think people really need to understand what it is they're paying for so you know that like you rightly said the majority of the information out there isn't that complicated but there is and it is out there for free but there's also a lot of misinformation and a lot of you know wrong information out there so i think a lot of the time you're not paying for like a master hack into how to be great at property. You're paying for your journey to be streamlined. And if that's going to be a value to you, it really depends on your financial position at the time. Because if you've got really limited funds, it may be better to spend those funds on, on property because you've only got a certain amount to spend. But if you've yeah. potentially got a little bit more disposable and maybe you're a little bit more time poor, then you just kind of have to look at what assets you have to work with on day one and how yeah. you can best maximize them to um, to allow for your success. Yeah, it's a really good point you make actually about, you know, there's all the information out there, but the problem is there's also a load of other information, which is not, which is a load of crap, right? So it's like, it's it's not so much telling you where the information is, it's telling you what information to ignore. Yeah. And because really what we're talking about is like, you know, you want to be looking at like planning policy, 
HMO standards, like basically like dry documents on council websites. Yeah, you want to basically ignore Facebook yeah. and then you want to like figure out, okay, you've got these three or four different documents. Uh, licensing and planning and like how do these things like interact and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so you know you could spend a lot of time online sort of like going around in circles and you just need someone to be like look it's not that complicated bang 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 these and, are some of those documents you mentioned they're like like 100 pages for example but there's the, yeah. the relevant parts to you are maybe 10 pages so i think like when people talk about it to me i kind of compare it to like put the personal shopping market like if for example you're saying you want this pair of trainers now they are available you, they're available out there but you might have to queue up really early or get up somewhere or get in a queue or buy x y or z but then if you're happy to pay the premium and have them to live, deliver to your door you are going to yeah. overpay a little bit but you're paying for the service as opposed to the exclusivity and i think if yeah. you understand it like that then it can as long as the education's good like you know it's providing you what you want it can yeah be beneficial sort of to everybody so this first property then this eight bed eight beds quite a lot of you know it's quite a deep, good size hmo it's not pd it's um full planning for your first hmo whereabouts yeah. was that and, and talk to us about that and how that actually went as a first project yeah so that's in thornton heath which i know mm. you'll know where that is yeah. um so basically yeah so when i bought this house um I think the the education I've had had sort of set my expectations on returns very low. And that's part of the reason why I'm a little bit negative on it in a way. But I bought that house to be a six bed HMO. And in the process of like, it literally in the few months where I was like in the process of buying it, like the conveyancing period, which was probably about three or four months, mm -hmm. like two things happened. One is I was looking at the... Um, I was just looking at like the planning applications that have been put in on the street, which is now something that I would do like right at the start, right? Just yeah. to get a bit of an idea about that. But I was looking at the planning applications going on the street and I realized that on the same style and shape and size of house, like a few doors down, not like too close, but a few doors down, mm -hmm. um, someone had done a loft conversion and got two good sized rooms out of it. Um, two rooms that in that local authority would be HMO, um, you know, would fit, would, would sort of fit the minimum standard. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. And I hadn't sort of like baked that into my, uh, you know, analysis of the deal. And then the other thing that happened was that I was just starting to consume more, um, mostly podcasts, I would say, not so much Instagram at that stage, mostly a, f a few different podcasts. And just kind of starting to get a bit of a, an idea of like what other people were doing um, and like what sort of returns people might be expecting to make and, and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, that was kind of like the, the flip where I was like, okay, so actually, you know, I could, I could do it as a six bed and it's more like a sort of a supercharged buy to let where I'll get, make slightly better returns than on a normal buy to let. Or I could do it as like an eight bed and then the revaluation is going to be a, a load higher. Um, and obviously the rent will be a lot higher. And, you know, my return on investment once I've recycled that cash will be, you know, like an order of magnitude, diff like completely different ballgame, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, 
so I was like, okay, well, you know, I should probably look into this more. So then the next step was like, okay, well, you know, there's planning risk. Like if you're going to go from a C4 to an eight bed, then you've got to get planning permission. So how do I, like how much risk is involved with that? You know, will I get, will I get permission? Uh, so just went on the council website, like put in probably like in the search bar, probably just put in HMO into the, this is like the planning mm-hmm. just for the, I know you know, but for the audience, like the planning section of the website, where you've got all the search boxes, you can like search, you know, all, all, all the different things. Just put in the keyword or the description uh, box, HMO, um, and then, or probably like multiple, because you might want to search for like house in multiple occupations, mm-hmm. so you might want to do both. And then, you know, just look through literally every single planning application um, for an HMO uh, and see, you know, how many of them are getting accepted, if they're being rejected, you tend to learn more. Like I do this a lot now, particularly for like, you know, converting houses to flats and stuff. Like you actually learn a lot more from the ones that are rejected than from the approvals. Yeah. And that's the, because yeah, if it's approved, it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's all good. Blah, blah, blah. Like it's a very short. Because also, yeah, when it's approved, you don't know why, like you don't necessarily know why it's approved unless they had a load of objections where you can see that they met X, Y, or Z objection yeah, by yeah. doing A, B, and C. Yeah, you don't really get to learn that much because it's been accepted. But yeah, when it's been rejected, you can then see okay. You, you like you create you like when you get you go through all the rejections, then you create okay. These are the things where you can fall down, right? These are the mm. things you've got to satisfy because you can read the local plan, but like it won't necessarily have every single bit of information you need, and it won't tell you the nuance of how they actually apply that wording to real life, right? So yeah, went through. We're going back a few years, but I do remember doing it now, like your spreadsheet, you know, line by line, every single case. Um, and just like, you know, building up a picture from that. And I was, and then, you know, by the end of that, I, I felt pretty confident that, you know, as long as we satisfied the various policies on, you know, the important, the things that were important to um, the planners in that area at the time, then, you know, it would be, it would be accepted. Um and so the way that we actually did that one, and this was like a model that then, you know, sort of did again and again um, a few times, was uh, got the house, we converted it into an eight-bedroom HMO, but initially we didn't have that planning permission. So you know, the first few months, we're just renting the first six the first six rooms, mm-hmm. two empty rooms. And then as soon as, as, soon as like, the, the permitted development this is before the Article 4, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as the permit development kicks in, which is when you've got three people living there, now it's an HMO legally. So then we put in the planning application, and then, uh, you know, two or three months after that, that's when we can start renting out room seven and eight. And then that's when we can refinance it onto a, uh, you know, onto a long-term product. Now, actually, with that one, uh, because I because with the first one and I was kind of like doing things a little, I wasn't as streamlined in the process as I subsequently became on that one. Uh, my bridge, my bridge expired whilst we were still in planning. So, um, I probably, there was a couple of options there. One was to basically, and I was a first time borrower, right? Like one HMO. I didn't have a relationship with the bridger at this point. So the options were basically like pay a penalty to the bridger, or refinance it onto a a mortgage like a long-term product but one that didn't have an early repayment penalty mm-hmm. and so the, the 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 numbers worked out slightly better to put it onto a mortgage <laughs> so it's a bit weird like we were on a bridge for nine months 
Then it was put onto a mortgage as a six bed HMO without an early repayment penalty. And then literally like through that mortgage was there for like literally three or four months. <laughs> and then it was put onto a long-term product. Now that's not something I've ever done, had to do again. Um, but it's just, it just shows that when you're doing your first one, like you're not going to do it perfectly, right? You're going to yeah. make mistakes or you're going to do things a bit slowly or a bit not the streamlined, as I said. And so, yeah, that's, uh, that was a bit of a pain, but, um, you know, there's usually a solution to these things. Yeah, no, definitely. And what, um, so you managed to get a commercial valuation for that one. So you got like the uplift because, you know, I think now what a lot of people are struggling with is they have these HMOs, but they're just, you know, standard C4. So they're, you know, six rooms or less. And mm. although they're cash flowing really well, they're still getting a bricks and mortar valuation, which means yeah. that they struggle to pull out as much money. And it's that kind of element of taking sometimes that bit more of a risk or investing a little bit more to make them that bit bigger, which means you can actually pull out a lot more of your money. What, yeah. what were the numbers like on this first one? Uh, yeah, so I think the, so the house cost, um, so I definitely overpaid on the house. Mm. Know that now. Um, the house cost about 450. The refurb was probably about a hundred and like all in maybe like 160 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, four, four ensuite bedrooms and then four other bedrooms, two further bathrooms. So, you know, rear extension, loft conversion. Um, and it got revalued at 800, mm-hmm. um, which I think, yeah, compared to our other eight bed HMOs in that area was probably the, that was the, that was actually the low end. So the others were all higher than that. Um, so that came out after the after the cash out. That turned out to be like a, what was it thirty? I think it was like thirty five percent ROI or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty good. And and I, so I looked at the numbers at the end of it, and I was like, okay, well, you know, that's that's really good compared to other things that I could do potentially. But at the same time, I know that I can do it better next time. I can definitely avoid all that the money that got pissed away from like putting it onto a mortgage for three months and then remortgaging it again. Um, I know that I can, uh, like knowing the market better than I did at the time, I know that I can definitely source houses cheaper than that. Um, to be honest, the refurbs didn't really get much cheaper. That pretty much stayed the same. Um, but yeah, I think uh, just to go back to your point about, you know, the, yeah, with the commercial, with the commercial mortgages, yeah, that was kind of like, I should have mentioned that. That was the other. That was the other thing when I was looking at. Okay, I can get two bedrooms in a loft, and I can get more rent from that. The other point, as you say, was you know, and I can therefore get. I can get a much higher revaluation on it, because mm-hmm. um, as a six bed, because I know this for a fact, because of that weird <laughs> refinancing as a C four before it had the planning permission, that was ha- that was valued at six hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. The extra two room it was you know basically on that particular one it turned out to be exactly basically like a hundred thousand per room like as a six bed it was 600 as an eight bed it was 800 yeah um so you know it's the same house had the same amount of money spent on it um you know basically that but that that valuation at 600 didn't put any value on the loft conversion because those two rooms couldn't be rented but like if you think about you know that loft conversion maybe cost like 40k mm-hmm. And it added 200k to the value of the house. Yeah, so it's like it's these things where you where you look at like okay, so there's some stuff that you do in these refurbs, like you do it because you have to do it, and it's not actually going to add a lot of value. 
and then you've got these like these certain things you know, generally adding floor space where like the return on your money is just you know it's crazy yeah. and that's what sort of makes the money and and that's what it is i think and that also because of where you transition to and why you see a lot of people for a number of reasons move from hmos to flat conversions is because as a starting point it works like it wasn't your ideal product it didn't have the same you know you described it as like a supercharged buy to let it didn't have the same allure as the eight bed but if mm -hmm. worst case scenario didn't get your planning you had like a stepped return and yeah. then also you then get the added benefit of you spend a little bit more and you make a lot more because even if you didn't hit you know that let's say your valuation didn't even go up that much more but you spent forty thousand pounds and those two rooms brought in an extra £1,500 a month, even outside of the valuation, your return on investment on that £40,000 is still, you know, you're still looking at close to what? Sort of 40% over, over yeah. a year. So they're, they're still really good ways of, of making additional money. Um, and then when you take that same ethos and transfer it to the flat conversions, you then have that same thing where you're like, okay, worst case scenario, we'll get, you know, maybe this many units, but for not much more spend than we get these many units, you know, your return on investments, you know, it sort of skyrockets. So, yeah. so you did, how, how many HMOs did you do after that first one? So I did, uh, well, four more. So I got, yeah, five HMOs. Um, and then the transition to, the transition to the flat conversions was actually, again, a little bit accidental. So, the sixth house that I bought was um, I was when I when I went to view it and I was analysing it and decided to offer it was going to be another HMO. It's going to be like the sixth HMO, and I suppose I started to as I like again you know it's that conveyancing period where you sort of like start to think about what you're going to do. Um, like I had the, the, the HMO case was solid and that would be fine, but what I, what I realised at that point was that by by being in the mindset of like a, a landlord growing the portfolio like ultimately i was going to start to constrain i was going to become capital constrained mm -hmm. um you know i started off with a pot of money and i got some really good revaluations and pulled out a lot of money like one of the hmos was all money out another one was like you know the other two were like pretty small chunks mm -hmm. compared to the first one pretty small chunks of money left in but nevertheless like overall over the five HMOs, like, you know, bits, bits get left in each time mm -hmm. and the pot's getting smaller and smaller. And so I was looking at the sixth one and I was like, you know, that pot is, is, it's not getting bigger. It's not getting bigger. Right? Yeah. It's either getting smaller or in the best case, you get all your money out and it's basically staying the same. And so, you know, I looked at it as, um, I don't want to get into a position where, you know, I'm, Constrict. Like, I, I want. I always want to be constricted by my my capacity and appetite to have deals on the go at one time. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be constricted by money, and so I, that's when I sort of flipped into thinking, okay, well, you know, actually, I and actually probably a lot of people should have you know a flipping strategy as well as a investment, you know, long term mm -hmm. hold strategy, and those two should sort of work together side by side. Um, and so yeah, so that house then became turn it into two three bed flats managed to get it at a decent price usually as you as you'll definitely know like you know splitting something into two is is you know pretty borderline um 
but it didn't like the configuration just wouldn't work for three flats so yeah we had to go for two three beds but they were like good size you mm -hmm. know did them up to a really nice standard it was in an area it was in collier's wood so it's in an area where like you know there's there's demand for like nice nice stock and yeah that went really well um and so yeah that's kind of the that's kind of the plan now is to um you know have that have that combination of um you know reinvesting in the portfolio but also to you know to to sell stuff as well because yeah. i think that like you know there's a lot of, particularly i mean you know I suppose my exposure to what property people are talking about, a lot of it is based on social media, but you know, there's a lot of focus on this BRRR strategy. And I understand why in the sense of like the, the sort of the magic of, you know, using the same pot of cash over and over again and the recycling. And it's like, when you don't know about that, and there was a time that I didn't know about that. Like when you first find out about it, you're like, that's amazing like you know <laughs> you know rather than just like saving up for a deposit and then buying a flat and then that's it like you can actually kind of like keep going keep going yeah. but you know if you're going to do this full time then you know just doing it one after the other after the other yeah. is going to slow you down a lot right and so i think that rather than wanting to sort of hoard everything and keep everything that you develop you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of mileage and sort of, you know, having an open mind, you know, if you sell a few things, particularly early on, you expand your cash pot, you know, your ability to do a lot, you know, it, it just supercharges your growth rather than just kind of like trying to kind of eke out as much as you can from this little cap, from the original yeah, cash pot. And I, and I think that's something that uh, I think is quite refreshing to hear because I, I personally hear it a lot. And I think because, there's a lot of talk in the space about BRR is very topical and it's very clickbaity and everybody talks about it because it sounds amazing. Yeah. Like, I yeah. bought this, you know, the, the clickbait side of it is I bought this house for £250,000 for only £5,000, for example. Which, it's a free house. It's a free yeah, house. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> but then for me, it, it's a case of that, that that's good in isolation. But like you said, it's where do you want to go with property? And if you're, personal goal is to just build up a maybe a portfolio to the point that it substitutes an income but then that's it then potentially it could work really well for you but if you really want to grow and excel and have that exponential growth and you know you're looking at doing bigger and better things your capital as you mentioned is going to be what's going to restrict you from doing that so having yeah. like a multi multi-faceted strategy is always going to be really helpful um i think also when it to conversions because conversions i think you can very easily become attached to because the idea of keeping this building of flats that are all yours sounds great but then you, you spoke about collier's woods you know three bedroom flat over there is is expensive it's sort of you know it's going to be i don't know the area exactly right now but it's just going to be sort of what four hundred and fifty thousand. yeah so those two sold for 500 so it's like yeah. okay look i can keep them but I'm gonna put them on a 75% mortgage, but then I'll have exactly. I'll have 250 grand tied up in it, right? And this is the bit which people and they talk about they get all their money out. Like, you, never, you never get your money out, right? You get because you've got 75% mortgage, so 25% of the value is tied up. Like mm. you know, you, the money that you invested has come back out, but you've got you've created a lot of equity value. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? Do you want that to stay in that property, or do you want to get it back out and then go on and do? what I would think bigger and better things because, you mm -hmm. know, I can either leave that 250 in that development and, you know, it'll grow with, I'll get a bit of yields and it'll grow with property prices or I can put it into the next project 
and then you know double or triple it again you know in 12 months so you know it's i agree with you like the brr thing is great if you want to do particularly if you're running it with your full-time job and you want to just have like one project on the go at a time and you go from one project and you recycle it to the next project and that's that's perfectly but also in an ideal world like you said you're going to have a diminishing cap of like even in an ideal world always getting a hundred percent of your money out particularly yeah. if you're operating you know in london you're going to have a diminishing cash pot so yeah you're going to be recycling your money yes but you're going to be doing smaller and smaller things and don't get me wrong there's the other side of it that over a longer term you know property prices are rising and you know that that's been the trend you know, for, for, for as long as I can, as long as I've been alive, that's been the trend, whether or not there's been little dips and troughs in that process, they've been rising. But again, it's the time and how long do you want to take to increase your cash flow again? You know, a lot of, with the constraints on buy to let mortgages, a lot of the products that mean you can get that 75% LTV mean you're in a, a five year tie-in, which may mean that, you know, you can't get money out without significant redemption penalties for another five years. Um, and I think it's just, it's just a, you have to look at what exactly you want to do at any given point in time. And there's a, a phrase that we often talk about, depending on what, what you know, positioning you're in your personal life cycle you are at. Because if, if you're looking at it from a, like, you know, I just want to look after my money, like I want to make my way work harder than inflation, then, you know, that BRR strategy might work really well for you because you're trying to preserve your wealth. But if you're trying to grow your wealth, then you need that same example of £250,000 left in those two flats in Collier's Wood that are, even if they're, if they're working well for you and making £1,000 you know, a month like profit, that's 12000 a year, that's a 4% return on investment. You know, you're just really fighting inflation at that point. And it, it's still a good income. Like, you know, if that's what you want to do, you're just protecting your money, but it's not that attractive growth strategy that you know you a lot of people a lot of us really got into property for which is that two hundred and fifty thousand pounds that you can actually pull out to go and yeah. do something else and this is like i think i dm'd you about this in response to one of your posts a few months ago but basically like i think that there's too much folk the the, the side piece of this folks on brrr is actually just like a more macro thing which is like there's a little bit too much focus on property investing like investing you strip it all back is really as you say it's about okay i've got i've got money what, what am i going to do with that money mm-hmm. and so it's more of a sort of later stage in life thing maybe where you're kind of like okay i'm gonna i want to preserve this money or i want to grow it or i want to be able to pass it on and that sort of stuff but like in your sort of prime productive years like you don't want to have too much capital tied up in a fairly a pretty safe but not necessarily the fastest growing like asset class mm-hmm. right like property is you know there's a lot of focus on it and it's something that we all understand we all know what it is because we all have to live in one <laughs> but like it's not necessarily um yeah as you say like you know the return if i kept those flats the returns on that wouldn't be well it all comes down to the capital appreciation like mm. the yield is obviously just yeah. rubbish so um yeah i think that you know people starting out people that are you know that are sort of young or youngish then like nothing wrong with investing and like building a portfolio but yeah like complementing it with something else like complementing uh, it with the work and that's that's the other thing about property that it it's as passive as you want it to be but mm-hmm. your returns are often linked to your actions and like your activity like if you're 
if you don't want to be out there looking for your next deal like on a regular basis because deals come on every day and if, if you're missing some of those days then uh, because you're taking time off you're only looking once a month or once every now and again that's super passive but then you're also going to miss out on 99% of the deals and 99% of the opportunities so what's like what's what's next for you in terms of, of conversions have you got anything in the pipeline or do you know stuff that you'd want to do uh yeah got some uh got some things in the pipeline things that are being negotiated or things that are under offer that we're buying um yeah at the moment it's um look, i i'm i'm quite <laughs> i i quite like sort of like not not going too fast i think that like when i which sounds a bit dumb because like my first thing was an eight bed hmo a lot of people are like like how can you do that as your first deal mm-hmm. and that was maybe a little bit risky but i think that like Generally speaking, dogs trying to jump up. Generally speaking, you know, it, I do sort of subscribe to kind of like you know, it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint type thing. And like all the cliches, like you never want your next deal to be your last deal, and all that kind of thing, right? Like, well, you know, I, lo- I love a cliche or a saying. I love a saying, but it's like, but you know, these lot of things are, they're, they're said because they're true. You know, like the mm-hmm. thing about not wanting your next deal to be your last deal. Like, don't try and like blow your like don't blow your brains out trying to be a hero with like this huge. Huge, huge deal that you're maybe unprepared for or don't have like the the experience or the expertise of how to do it and it's fine you're never going to know when you do something for the first time you're never going to know about how to do it exactly but you know there's ways of mitigating that risk and so moving into conversions like the first two that i've done have just been pretty simple right convert house into two flats a lot of people would look at that particularly people that have been doing this for a few years and be like you know why do you even bother but you know a they were good enough deals, particularly on the sourcing side, uh, getting them cheap enough, the sale values being high enough with, you know, going the extra mile on the interiors without spending too much money, but just like adding that extra kind of source to it. And then the other thing is, um, you know, like just learning the basics of that, because, you know, it's kind of like there's, there's the, it, it, it's a little bit more complex than the HMOs. So there's a little bit more stuff you need to be thinking about. Um, in terms of your utilities and your soundproofing and a, bunch, a few other things. So um, just kind of, you know, cutting your teeth on a new thing in a, in a way that you're not putting crazy amounts of capital at risk. Um, but, you know, having done those and like knowing how that works now, I think, you know, the next ones that I'm looking at is more like, you know, bigger properties, four, five, six flats, that sort of thing. Um, nice. Yeah. And then maybe at some point it'll be, you know, bigger, bigger things again. But like, I'm not sort of like, I don't have the, I don't have the sort of, you know, if I, I don't have this sort of like, um, there's no ego about it. Like, it's not like, oh, I have, you know, I have to be, I have to do I have, new have to go and do, I have to go and do a new build. I have, I have to, to do new builds. But if I don't do new builds, I'm not a proper property developer, you know? <laughs> no, that, that's fair enough. I think a lot of the stuff you said, like, and it sounds, you know, when you say it in passing, like little things like, oh, yeah, you have to think about your sound testing. But that like, sound testing is something that bites a lot of people when they do their first conversion because it's something they've never had to think about before or your new build warranties and all sorts yeah. of things that you you learn about and if you're not paying that attention to detail and you just take it as, oh, it's just another refurb, like they can buy you massively at the end of a project. So I think that's a lot of really good advice in terms of just, you know, managing risk and reward and managing, you know, that also when you spoke about one thing, that I think you said that I think I really liked was that you did projects that maybe other people wouldn't have done. They say, oh, what's the point? But it doesn't matter what the point is to somebody else. It matters what the point is to you. 
Like, and if that return works for you, it, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing, whether it's on Instagram or real life or wherever the case may be. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like, there's a lot of comparison stuff going on, right? Particularly with social media. Like we have such a, well, we think we have such a window into what other people are doing. Um, mm. But the reality is often, and I had a conversation yesterday with someone where, yeah, it was just another reminder where like the reality of, or yeah, the reality is a lot different to what you're seeing on social media. So yeah, I just think that, yeah, the, there's a, there's quite a lot of value in just kind of doing, doing a simple deal to start off with where you know, it might not, you know, you know, it might not make you uh, as much money as like something else you could theoretically do. But again, it's all about that risk weighted return. And if, if you're not, you know, if you're, if you're not, if you, do, if you haven't done this before, then there's risk that attached to that. And if you want to do something, if you start with something smaller where you can kind of minimize that risk potentially um, and treat that as a bit of a, treat that as part of your education, right? Yeah. Like, you know, if you can do it, if you do it, if you do, if your first deal doesn't lose you money, uh, yeah. that's, that's free education. education. Exactly. Cheapest <laughs> education. And you might have made a little bit of money and you've made some relationships and you, you know, you've done a lot along the line that you wouldn't have got, you know, elsewhere from, from just, from doing nothing or for doing something high risk that could have lost you money. My final question as we're one at a time is, Roland, this is a very regular phrase that I hear at the moment, particularly in London. There's no deals available at the moment. What would you say in response to that? Uh, so, yeah, it's funny because, like, because, you know, I'm not, like, doing such a volume of deals that the last time that I had bought something prior to going out and picking something up last week the last time i actually bought something was like first half of last year mm -hmm. and so yeah i hadn't actually really been like deeply in the market for a period of time and i'd been hearing that a lot and then sort of start of the year i had finished that project they, those flats were going on the market and actually that's a good example like, i was basically capital constrained like mm -hmm. i was waiting to get that project finished knowing that that they'd soon be on the market so i could sell them so i could get money back in so i could go again which is not a position i want to be in but um so i went back into the market uh start of the year started looking at stuff and yeah there was like there's i i mean i find that there are deals out there um but I think that it just depends what people mean by a deal, right? I, I think if you want a a straightforward flip without any planning risk or planning, yeah, without any planning element to it, um, I imagine that's probably pretty tough. Um, but I mean, I think that's all. I, mean, I think that's been the case for quite a long time, probably. Um, I think that you know if you know what it's like. It's all about, you know, being able to sort of, you know, wring as much value out of the property as you can and, and knowing, you know, having a good idea of kind of, you know, within the planning structure and the, and what the planners are looking at, like, okay, this is the, this is the ambitious case we could get to and this is kind of the mid case and, you know, having all your different scenarios. Um, but I just think that like, you know, because sometimes, you know, you see two agents and they're showing you a house and they're, yes, big old house and they're like yeah i reckon you could get three flats out of this and you're just thinking like, i know i can get more out of this like mm -hmm. you know um it's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle you know with the minimum size standards and you know you've got to have you got well, you know you've got to have your bedrooms they've all got to have windows like it's a, it's you know it, it's not like it's not easy and you have to spend 
sometimes quite a bit of time, you know, looking at a floor plan to figure out what you can afford to pay for it and what's, you yeah. know, and to actually do the, that, that, that's probably where I spend the most time when I'm analyzing a property, you know, I might, you know, I'll, I'll initially do it. sound like me, you get super upset with a property that doesn't have a floor plan. It could look great. You're like, look at it. Like, well, I don't even bother. <laughs> I don't even bother. I don't even bother. If it doesn't have a floor plan, I don't even bother. I don't even bother because like, I don't want to, like, I'll, I try and minimize the actual viewings that I do because mm -hmm. my view is like, there's so much information on the internet that like, by the time I'm, what I tend to do is like, I'll pick up the phone and if it looks interesting, I'll pick up the phone and just check it's actually still on the market. Mm -hmm. Because the worst thing you can do is spend an hour on it and uh, be like, oh, yeah, you've done comps, you've done like, you've had a, yeah, yeah. You know, and then these pricks come and updated right move because they still want to build up their backup list. <laughs> and it's then like, oh, I'm sorry, sir, that's been under offer. We're about to exchange on it. And it's like, oh my God. So, like, if it looks interesting, then I pick up the phone. Okay, is it still on the market? Yes, it is okay, I'm going to do a bit of work on it. And if I still think it's interesting, then I'll call you back to, for a viewing. Then I'll sort of, you know, start looking at it properly, um, check if there's any planning history on the house, check if there's any planning history on the places nearby, you know, good look around on Street View, Google Earth. Um, look at the floor plan, you know, look at the neighbours, what sort of extensions could I do that won't, you know, that could get approval, that won't sort of like... Uh, you know, well, that fit the local policies. Yeah, not overdeveloping. Uh, you know, what, what do I think? How many, how many flats would this be? Are they one beds, two beds, three beds? And then that goes in the spreadsheet and then it's like, and, that, and that's all being done before the viewing, right? And then it's like, okay, well, I think this could work and it's either going to work at, and then, and then it's like, okay, at what price does this work? Well, you know, if that's within 10% of the asking price, then I'll probably give it a, give it a call, give it, give it a viewing. If it's less than ten, if it's like got, if it's got to have a bigger discount on it, mm. then it's like, well, mm, is it worth it? Well, depends. Like if it's been on the market for quite a long time, if it's recently been reduced, then yes, there's definitely like you know maybe a bit of urgency there. If it's just gone on the market in the last week, like nobody's accepting fifteen percent discount in the first week, yeah. right? So, you know, there's a bit of that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, and, like, sometimes, yeah, you spend a lot of money, like, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs, like, you spend a lot of time looking at stuff that isn't going to work, and it's a waste, yeah, it's a quote-unquote waste of time. But what I like about it is, like, actually, you learn a lot when you're doing all that stuff, and you just get quicker and quicker at doing it, and you can bash out these floor plans so fast, and it's, like, yeah, it, it becomes more efficient. But, you know, so long answer to an easy question. Yes, there are deals. Uh but you know, they're not they're not everywhere but i think if you're doing this full time and you spend a month looking for you know a good a, a decent deal you'll find one on right move for sure i think i think for someone that's looking for deals that was that was a lot of really good advice like put quite succinctly in terms of you know you've got to know what you're looking for in the first place like i think that that you know key advice of actually check that what you're looking at is still available is a massive time saver yeah can can avoid that it can demotivate you then doing your comparables actually working out realistically what your end value is going to look like so you know what you can pay for it and because i like a saying i'm going to go with the final thing that you've got to kiss a lot of frogs you're going to have to <laughs> a lot that may not be great you're going to have to look at a lot that may not work that worked maybe on paper and then when you did a practical viewing you saw that for whatever reason you know that where you thought you could have put a loft, you look and you see the ridge height as nowhere near enough for that loft conversion. It just isn't oh, that's my yeah, that's that's my first thing, right? Walk into a house and the estate agent's like, 
um, would you like to see the sitting room? I'm like, no, I'd like to get in the loft. <laughs> That's like, because if the loft doesn't work, I don't care about your sitting room. <laughs> it is, it is. It's funny because like, a lot of the stuff you say really resonates really well. We're doing the same thing in the same area. <laughs> through, through, my, yeah, through my process of, okay, like, do I know the area? I know what I can roughly get here. You know what you can roughly pay. You work it backwards. But I definitely think, yeah, today's been a really sort of just honest, genuine conversation about what it takes to do the type of deals that you're currently doing. And I think it's been really good advice for anybody that maybe, you know, wants to get into HMOs, has an idea of wanting to maybe get into um, conversions in the long term, but then is going to pivot into doing into doing um, the com conversions in the future. Because I think HMOs are a really good prep for getting into those conversions because of that element of risk mitigation to, okay, worst case scenario, I'll get six rooms, great case scenario, you know, best case, I get eight. Same with the, the flats, like, okay, worst case scenario, I get two, and this is my return on capital employed for these two. And if I get the third one, it's like a bonus. And if I get the fourth one, it's sensational. But you can yeah. you can step back and sort of stagger that risk and reward um, accordingly. So we appreciate you having you on, Roland. For those that haven't already, make sure you go and check him out. Thanks very much for having me, man. It was good to talk to you. No, good to talk to you too. Thank you. We'll be back this time next week. Take care, everyone. See ya.